if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hands. Uh, the ushers have uh, Bibles that we provide for folks. Raise them high so people can see your hands if you need one. Okay. Got a couple here. Anybody else? Great. Well, 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me offer a word of prayer for us, and then we'll turn to God's word. Father, we pray, quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, so that we can hear you speak to us clearly. Lord, remove from us anxiety and distraction so that your word can take root in us. As we enter this moment of spiritual warfare where the birds of the air, the evil one, would seek to snatch the seed from us, we pray that you would protect us. Keep us, O oh Lord, from having your word stolen from us this morning, even as we listen to it. Grant that this seed would germinate in our souls and root and sprout and bear fruit in our lives. Help us, O oh Lord, by your word we pray. Instruct us, guide us, comfort us, assure us. By your word we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Demographers and researchers are telling us these days that church attendance is decreasing. In fact, some 40 million people have what they call de-churched in the last 25 or 30 years. These are folks who once reported going to church at least once a week, who now say they go maybe once a year. They have moved away from the church. In fact, the average church attendance has dropped from about 137 people on average in a church to almost half of that to 65. So from 2020 or so, 2010 or so, till now, regular membership in a local church has been cut in half. Certainly the pandemic didn't help matters. People are seeing the church as optional or irrelevant. More than that, it seems like a regular event now where someone takes to social media to tell the world not just that they are no longer going to church, but they, they are no longer a Christian. Sometimes they tell us their story as it happens. We get regular coverage of their every thought, their every feeling, as if we're watching the 6 o'clock news. Sometimes they tell us once they have completed, quote-unquote, deconstructing and have decided to forsake Christianity completely. Usually the announcement that they, that they make about leaving the faith comes with a second announcement. Announcement of some behavior or lifestyle that they have adopted that was once forbidden. They've left their spouse. They're now in a same-sex relationship. They no longer see a problem with using marijuana or getting drunk and partying. It's interesting how their view of happier and freer without Jesus means sinful and rebellious against God. Once they've left the faith, they sometimes invite other people to conversations about the faith 
They, they tell us that they are now wiser, that they are happier and freer. They seem to take pleasure in suggesting that we who are Christians are really the fools and that everything is so much brighter when we leave Jesus and the church behind. If only we would see things the way they see things, then we would be enlightened, they tell us. But what if that's the problem? What if the problem is that they are seeing the wrong way? They are seeing with their physical eyes and their natural minds. What if there's another way to see? A better way? What if it, when it comes to spiritual realities, physical sight really isn't all that useful at all? What if we need to see with spiritual eyes? What if when they rejected their faith, they actually gouged their eyes out. In our text this morning, the Bible teaches us that the just shall live by faith, not by sight. And in our text this morning, Peter wants us to understand, as he started to say last week in verses 6 and 7, he wants us to understand the value, the preciousness of faith, and he teaches us four things about faith. Number one, that faith loves Jesus without ever having seen Jesus. Number two, that genuine faith believes in Jesus. It trusts Jesus without currently seeing Jesus. And number three, the same genuine faith, well, it also rejoices in Jesus without currently seeing Jesus. And it is this faith that obtains Jesus in salvation without seeing Jesus. It turns out everything that God wants for us and everything we want to show God, from love to faith to salvation, has nothing to do with our eyeballs. It has everything to do with faith. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read from verses 1 to 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being excuse me, guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation 
of your souls. Look with me again in verse 8 and 9. Eight, nine. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want to suggest to you that verses 8 and 9 are a compact but powerful argument for why we should never abandon faith. And the first reason is this, is that faith loves Jesus without ever having seen Jesus. Peter mentions faith for the first time back in verse 7, as we just saw. He points out how these elect exiles are having their faith tested through trials. He encourages them to see that their faith is the most valuable thing in their possession. It's more precious than gold. Now, in verses 8 and 9, he shares four ways that um, this faith is exceedingly valuable and precious. Faith allows the Christian to see and enjoy realities beyond the physical realm. Faith lays hold to truths that we cannot yet see. In fact, faith makes seeing irrelevant. We see this in the beginning of verse 8. The first thing that faith enables us to do is to love Jesus without seeing him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Now, beloved, if you know like I know, people don't tend to love people they ain't seen. I mean, imagine, for example, two friends are talking and one friend wants to set the other friend up on a blind date. And they mention, hey, I got this person that I want you to meet. What's the first question? What's he look like? What he look like? And the friend goes on to say, he's real nice. What he look like, right? The more you learn about the character, the more you want to know what they look like, don't you? You see, we walk by sight in so many ways. And we're rarely attracted to things that we haven't seen and seeing judged as beautiful. See, this is a sad fact about humanity, really. We often decide whether we'll love someone based on how they look to us. Keep in mind, these elect exiles lived after the earthly life of Jesus. They lived far away from Jerusalem, so they were not eyewitnesses to Jesus' life. The verb here is in the past tense. They had never seen Jesus in their entire life. They had only heard of Jesus. Now, here's the problem. If our faith in God depends upon our seeing God, we're all doomed. We're all doomed. If our faith in Jesus depends upon all of us being eyewitnesses to Jesus, then everyone who was not alive around 30 AD and not living in Jerusalem is doomed. But there's good news. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes not by seeing, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Through hearing and faith, Jesus becomes attractive to us, lovely to us. Faith comes through the ear gate, not the eye gate. 
And so these Christians in Peter's day and any Christian here in this room, it is through faith that we see the Lord's most excellent qualities and perfections. And it is through faith as we see him, we adore him. We love him. They heard, they believed, and through faith, they loved Jesus. Now, throughout the New Testament, we see faith and love joined together. Usually now, faith and love for other saints goes together. You see that just throughout the Bible as, as the apostles write and commend people for their love for all the saints and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we see how the Bible brings together um, faith in God and God's love for us. We see that in John 16, 27, Ephesians 3, 17, that when we come to faith in God, God's love is poured out on us in a unique way. But here now is something interesting. Faith expresses our love back to Jesus. If you want to show love for Jesus, then believe in him even though you've never seen him. If you want to demonstrate a life of love for Jesus, then walk by faith, not by sight. In, in biblical terms, I trust you is the same as I love you when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. And we know that faith expresses love, don't we? Think again about the people who tell us that they no longer follow Jesus or believe in Christianity. When we hear someone has left the faith, don't we automatically understand that they don't love Jesus? That kind of falling away from faith equals a falling away from love for the Savior. Don't be deceived. Don't let anybody fool you with smooth words. If you walk away from God, you cannot love God. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Galatia, some of them were falling away from Christ to go back to the law for justification. And in particular, they were making a big deal of circumcision. You had to be circumcised in order to be justified with God. And Paul writes to help them understand that falling away from faith and falling away from grace was falling away from love. Paul writes in Galatians 5, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working, or if you have an NIV translation, it may be translated expressing itself in love. That's what matters. Not the law, not obedience to the law, not circumcision, not even uncircumcision. What matters, beloved, ultimately, and what matters profoundly, and what matters spiritually, is that we be people who actually have faith in Jesus. And when we have faith in Jesus, notice how it works, how it expresses itself. It expresses itself in love for Jesus. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Just like these Christians 2,000 years ago, we love Jesus without seeing him by putting our faith in him. And that's one reason that faith is so valuable and precious and should never be abandoned. Here's the second reason. Faith believes in Jesus without currently seeing Jesus. Peter moves from the past tense in that first sentence. Now he moves to the present tense. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. These Christians like us have never seen Jesus physically, as we said, and they, they did not see Jesus when they read this letter. 
that they believed in Jesus. In other words, they continually relied upon Jesus. They, they found Jesus worthy of their trust. Faith is looking in Jesus or looking at Jesus with confidence in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You guys know these words. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. Peter's saying the same thing in his own words. Faith is looking to Jesus with assurance, with conviction, or you could say with confidence, even though we do not see him or see what we want. And it's looking to Jesus this way, not in a one-time fashion, but as a lifestyle in a continual trusting in him that is the Christian's heritage. Peter is describing here faith as trusting, faith as believing, faith as relying upon Jesus. It's a, a belief as trust that allows us to do hard things. These Christians were suffering various kinds of trials that were causing them to grieve. Well, we have trials too. We have afflictions too. We have suffering that comes into our lives too. How do we endure it? It certainly is not by throwing away faith. It's by trusting God, continuing to hope in God, continuing to believe in him and to believe he is who he said he is and he can do what he said he could do. A lack of faith is trust will cause us to quit or to, to shrink back in fear. But genuine faith keeps us moving forward in reliance on God. I have a wonderful example of this kind of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, that whole paragraph, the writer of Hebrews is celebrating Moses for Moses' faith and the various ways that Moses' faith was demonstrated. But notice what he says in verse 27. By faith, he, Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Why? For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses' eyes of faith were on the unseen God. That's how he was able to endure all he gave up and all he risked. Moses rejected the greatest military power on earth at the time, walked out on Pharaoh. And like an exile, he left the only home he knew and all the comforts of growing up in the Pharaoh's palace. But he was not afraid. Why? Because his faith enabled him to live as if he could see God himself. He trusted an invisible God to deal with visible realities. That's faith. Genuine faith produces reliance upon God, trust in him. Which raises questions for us, too, because, again, we're in the same situation as these first century Christians. And so we should ask ourselves, do we believe in him? Do we really rely on God? Does our faith or our trust show itself in any way? Is there evidence in our decision making or our behavior or our endurance that we really have stretched ourselves out on Jesus' back. We are resting on him, trusting him, relying on him. That's how we endure, beloved. 
faith believes on Jesus without currently seeing him. Is it possible that we miss God's work because we rely on seeing with our eyes more than seeing by faith? We often give up because our sight tells us to. We too often walk by sight, not by faith in our unseen God. I mean, we, we are just swimming in that message, right? The, the world says, trust what you see and reject what you don't. But the Bible calls us to the very opposite here. We must trust the one we cannot see and refuse to live simply by our sight. Over and over again, Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted in the New Testament, the just shall live by faith. Or as 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 puts it, for we walk by faith, not by sight. If we are walking, not walking by faith, beloved, believing in the God that we cannot see, then we're not living like righteous or just Christians. That may be something we need to repent of. For faith in Jesus leads us to believe, to rely upon, to trust in Jesus. Here's a third thing. That faith rejoices in Jesus without currently seeing Jesus. Peter teaches, that, teaches us this again in verse 8. Notice there. And rejoices with joy inexpressible and full of glory. One of the most beautiful phrases in all the Bible. Faith in Jesus makes the believer indescribably happy. That's how I would put that little phrase in my own words. Now, as Christians, as human beings, whether we're Christians or not, we, we can rejoice in all kinds of things. We can rejoice in all kinds of different things. For example, we can rejoice with hope. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Chapter 12, verse 2. We can rejoice in sufferings. Romans 5, verse 3. Colossians 1, 24. We can rejoice in persecution, Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Acts 5, 41, where they rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer for the name. We can rejoice in the rejoicings of others. We can rejoice with the truth. We can rejoice when people repent. We can rejoice when Jesus is preached, even when he's preached by people with bad motives, as Paul does in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. We can rejoice in lots of things, and we should. This is just a partial list. God has actually filled the world with lots of reasons for rejoicing. But Peter seems to have in mind a particular object of rejoicing. Seems to have in mind rejoicing, again, in the one we have not seen and do not see. He's talking about that rejoicing that has Jesus as this object and center. That's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. So as Richard Smallwood wrote, Jesus is the center of our joy. Faith rejoices. Faith is a celebration. It it boasts or glories in Christ. That's how we could translate rejoicing. It is to, to boast in Jesus. It is to glory in Jesus. It is not only to exalt him, but to exult in him, to delight in him. 
When we by faith love and trust Jesus, it makes our hearts to overflow with gladness. And notice the quality of this rejoicing. That faith that rejoices in Jesus comes with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Inexpressible means there are no words and no nonverbal gestures to communicate or to relate that joy. It defies communication. It escapes communication. It, it overwhelms our ability to describe it. Full of glory means it's pregnant with the awesomeness and the weightiness of God himself. One, one writer describes joy full of glory as reflecting our future with Christ in the moment in front of us. Reflecting our future with Christ in the moment in front of us. That means that this kind of joy is eternity leaking back into time. It is heaven leaking back into earth. It is our future glorification leaking back into our mortal lives here. This joy full of glory is, is, a, is a foretaste of the beauty and the splendor and the gladness and the weightiness and the awesomeness that we will see forever in the presence of God. It is getting a taste of that now. This is what genuine faith gives the believer. A rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And perhaps you say, I am a Christian and I don't feel this kind of joy inexpressible and full of glory. Why not, Pastor T? What's, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my faith? There's probably nothing wrong with you. We don't feel this kind of intense happiness all the time. No, nobody does. However, we need to understand the nature of joy and the nature of this joy, the character and the nature of our joy depends on the character and the nature of the thing we are enjoying. If the thing being enjoyed is noble and life-giving, the joy we experience will be noble and life-giving. If the thing being enjoyed is dirty and sinful, then the quality of our joy will take on that, that dirtiness and that sinfulness, the shame that comes from it. Our experience of joy takes on the characteristics of the things being enjoyed. So if we focus on telling dirty jokes, then joy will be dirty. If we take pleasure in being cruel, then cruelty will define our joy. If we focus on material things for joy, then our joy and our hearts will be lifeless like those material things. Our joy and our heart sort of shape itself around the thing that's being delighted in. So if our delight now is in Jesus, the one who is infinite in glory, who, whose presence, in whose presence there is joy and pleasure forevermore. The one who is love and light and 
holiness, if our joy is in that Jesus who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who has loved us and gave himself for us, who is the accomplishment of God's salvation, if our joy is in that Jesus, then we will have joy inexpressible and full of glory as we delight in him. Even if we are tried and we suffer. So here's the key, beloved. We must seek our joy in Jesus. I know that's simple, but how often is it forgotten? And we must seek our joy in Jesus. And that's what Christian faith does. It produces this joy sometimes, but especially as we meditate on and delight in the Lord. So where do you seek your joy? What does your faith land on as the object of your delight? Make it Jesus more and more and more each day. Which brings us to our last, last thing. It's the fourth reason you should not abandon your faith. Faith obtains Jesus without currently seeing Jesus. That's how I would summarize verse 9, where Peter writes there, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Faith in Jesus is not for nothing. Faith in Jesus has a very definite outcome. It has a very definite result. It has a very definite aim and goal that God has appointed specifically faith in Jesus is to save our souls. That's the outcome God has in mind. The rescue of my soul and your soul, the rescue of that part of us which is eternal and exceedingly precious and exceedingly rare. We don't get another soul. We only have one. And that one lives eternally. And it needs to be saved. You said saved from what? from God's judgment against our sin in hell. We all were or are in danger of our souls suffering God's righteous and just and perfect judgment and wrath. And that's because we have all sinned against an infinitely good God, and so we deserve an infinitely bad outcome. And there's no infinitely bad outcome like hell. But God has loved us instead. While we were still sinners, the Bible says, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. To suffer the judgment that we deserve on Calvary's cross. What was he doing? What was the goal of that? It was the salvation of our souls. It was the rescue of our, ourselves, our persons, both soul and body, actually, from that judgment of God that is coming upon the world. God was accomplishing for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. We could not atone for our own sins. We could not offer to God perfection once we had sinned against him. 
No, we needed to be rescued. We needed to be saved. We needed to be snatched from the flames of hell. We needed to be snatched from the pit. We needed to be snatched from our own hearts because our hearts were set on hell. Our hearts were set on sin. Our hearts were set on rebellion against God, on living apart from God, on going our own way. The road was broad too, but it ended in a cul-de-sac called destruction. We didn't like the narrow path that led to life. It's too tight. It's too strict. The speed limit is too low. We didn't want to travel that way. We wanted to go our own way. And the end of that is God's eternal judgment. But God said, let me save these folks. Let me rescue them from themselves. Let me rescue them from my wrath, from my judgment. Let me rescue them and save them and make them my own people who will live eternally in my love. Let me give them, through my son, the righteousness they don't have. And let me turn away, through the sacrifice of my son, the anger that burns toward me. This is what it means to be saved, to be rescued. Oh, beloved. Most fundamentally, we don't need a new job. We don't need a new house. We don't need a spouse, whether old or new. We don't need children. We don't need money. We don't need political power. Most fundamentally, we need a savior. We need a savior. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only Savior who pays for our sins and rescues our soul. And we gain that salvation by putting our faith in him, by trusting him as the Son of God and as our Lord and Savior who rescues us through faith. When you're here, beloved, this morning, and you're not yet a Christian, our highest hope for you our great desire for you right now, what we are praying as a congregation is that you would hear this message about Jesus and you would believe in him. Because then you will be saved. You will be saved to be God's people and saved from God's wrath. So we just want to encourage you this morning with all of our hope and all of our prayer, with all of our faith and trust in God on your behalf, we want to encourage you this morning to confess your sins to God, to repent of them, and to put your faith in Jesus. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts. Do not draw back. Faith will bring you to life. And my Christian friend, perhaps we can in the sermon this morning with just a, a couple of applications um, for us as well. My Christian friend, rejoice. This is what Paul has been arguing throughout this chapter, basically. Rejoice from the, from the blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3 to you have an inheritance kept in heaven for you, a salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time in verse 5 to his telling us in verse 7 that we have this precious faith, more precious than gold to his coming here to verses 8 and 9. I think Peter is in a full-blown hoop right here. He said, no, you have not seen him. 
you love him. Though you do not see him right now, you believe. I mean, if I had a hammer and I could hoop, we tune it up right here. Peter is wide open right here, and he says, rejoice. And let me give you a couple more reasons why, beloved, we should rejoice if we have this faith. First, we are obtaining our salvation. <laughs> you are saved, and you are being saved, and you will be saved on the day of Christ. Our salvation is one day closer. It's one sermon closer. It's one week closer. Our salvation is nearer now than it's ever been. I hope you can taste it. I hope you're leaning into it. I hope you're leaning toward it for Christ is near. His kingdom is near. His salvation is near. You are obtaining the salvation that he promised you. See, your eyes will tell you it's boring. Everything's the same. No, it's not. Jesus is nearer. The kingdom is closer. Rejoice. Now, and second thing, Christian. Let your faith be the assurance of your salvation. Let your faith be the assurance of your salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 puts it this way. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, beloved, your faith is the evidence that you have already overcome, that you have already been saved, that you have already conquered the world, the flesh, the devil, the grave, that you have already entered into this salvation. So, so if you struggle this morning with knowing whether or not for certain you are saved, ask yourself, do I have faith in Jesus? However weak, however small, however trembling, however bruised, do I have faith in Jesus that he is my Savior? Well, that didn't come from you. That faith came from God when he caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through faith in him. The fact that you have faith is the evidence that you are God's, that you are God's children, that he has adopted you and made you his own. This is why faith is precious. This is why if you struggle with being sure that you're a Christian, if you struggle with doubt, this is why I think God put this wonderful prayer in the Bible. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's a fantastic prayer. Because it's faith that's obtaining for us this salvation, if you have faith of any degree, you may be assured it didn't come from the devil. It didn't come from the world. It didn't come from your sinful nature. It came from the God who loves you and is calling you to himself. So, Christian, rejoice that we are being saved. Rejoice that you have faith. Draw confidence, assurance before God that you are his because of that faith. Faith is a gift from God. Faith connects us to God. So, beloved, do not throw away your faith, which has great reward. Those who fall away are not happier. They're not freer. 
they're not wiser. The Bible tells us it's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. These folks are fools. They're not free but enslaved by sin. They're not wise, but their understanding has been darkened. They're not happy. They will be eternally miserable if they die rejecting Jesus. I don't need to be harsh, but I do need to be clear. I mean to be clear because our souls depend upon it. Hold fast to what you have received in Christ. Believe and let no one bewitch you. Continue in the faith. You are gaining the salvation of your soul and nothing could be more important. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this thing called faith. We thank you that you have given us grace to have faith and to have faith in you and in Jesus Christ, your Son. And we thank you that you've called us, Lord, to live by faith, a remarkably freeing thing. You've not called us to perform. You've not called us to perfect. You've not called us to do, do, do. You've simply called us to believe. And out of that faith, and through your grace, all that you wish to accomplish in us begins and continues and is completed. We thank you that by faith we have come to love Jesus as our Savior. And we thank you that by faith we have learned to live trusting you. And we thank you that by faith, Lord, we, we can rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And we thank you that by faith we are receiving what you have appointed for us. We are obtaining the goal of our salvation, which is the salvation of our souls, all by faith. So help us, O oh Lord, not to make shipwreck our faith, but to protect it, to preserve it, to feed it, that we ha might have more of you day by day. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.